Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. I love you guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried & Jensen, Veracity Networks, and iHill Institute. You guys are fantastic. Thank you for believing in me, and thank you for helping me spread this message. i also like to thank just our previous guests who have been on here. They've been vulnerable. They've shared amazing stories, and it's because of stories like that that we are truly trending on Apple and Google Podcasts. It's fantastic. I love you guys for all of that. Today um, is um, going to be no different. We have a great guest today. We're joined by Kel Bjorn. Kel, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So I had the privilege of being on Kel's podcast, I don't know, about six months, eight Sounds months ago. Sounds about right, yeah. And it was awesome. The feedback and uh, was fantastic after that. And I really love what you do. Uh, Kel's been through some hard times, and he created this podcast, which we'll talk about here in just a minute, to help other people, basically. I mean, he just wants to to, to make a difference in people's lives. Um, Kel grew up in Seattle, Washington. Um, he love you know loves to play just about any sport, but mainly basketball, and I think that's why you and I connect, because that's <laughs> yeah. my sport. <laughs> yeah, it's a good story. Yeah. Um, uh, he's married to his wife, Lindsay. You have four kids, man. That'll yeah. keep you busy. It is busy. Yeah, I have sure. four kids myself. Yeah. I'm a little older than you, maybe a lot older. I don't you know. You can look back and remember the days. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you know, I want to, I don't know if, I, I want you to talk about this, but you, you have a podcast called Stick Around, a Suicide Discussion. Right. That's a big topic. It is. Yeah, heavy I was really topic. nervous starting that because yeah. it's, it is a tricky one to talk yeah. about. Yeah, and we're going to get into why you did that, but... Uh, you know, again, you're just passionate about helping others, helping with their mental health, and discuss, discussing reasons for people to stick around. And I love that. I love your title because it says a lot. Um, and so why don't we just start, Kel, tell us where you grew up um, and a little bit about your childhood and how that was. For yeah, you. sure. So like you said, Seattle, we say Seattle, but it's it's the suburbs, you know. Yeah. We live in Utah now, so I say Seattle, but it was more between Seattle and Tacoma and a, a town okay. called Auburn, Federal Way area. Okay. Um, so my parents still live there. I've got a brother back there. We lived in Puyallup most recently, a couple years ago. Um, but growing up, I'm the youngest of three boys, and so everything was competition. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. It's racing bikes. It's playing basketball in the front yard. It's, it's everything. Yeah. I mean, even when I was a little kid, probably like four or five, we're at my grandma's house, and uh, we, we got ice cream cones. And my oldest yeah. brother, I'm licking super slow because I'm this little tiny kid. Uh -huh. And my older brother looks and he's like halfway done. He's like, <laughs> hey, Kel, why don't you switch with me so you can beat Haunts, my other brother. Okay. And I'm like, yeah. So I take his and there's like nothing left. <laughs> and he gets this full other ice cream cone. And the middle brother's complaining. Now I look back and I'm like, wow, he totally just tricked me out yeah. of my ice cream. And he's cream. laughing at you going, I just got exactly. more ice cream. <laughs> but it was all about the race. You know, I always was yeah. trying to catch up to my brothers and- Eventually, I outgrew them, um, mm. but I just remember looking back. It was always playing ball, playing ball, football, everything with my older brothers, and 
just really developed a lot of competitiveness yeah. because of that. And sure. I think a lot of it led to kind of really high expectations for myself that might not have even really been there from other people. Yeah. But kind of the youngest you're trying to, to catch up and fit in. And some of that too, I look back now and I don't know if other people that are the youngest child relate to this, but I feel like making decisions is still really difficult for me because I didn't really have to make decisions. It was like, Oh, he just tags along. Like whatever we're doing, we're doing, yeah, I'm not picking the movie. I'm not yeah. picking what's for dinner. I'm just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> and then you grow up as an adult and it's like, no, you need to pay your mortgage and pick a job and pick a career. And that's and interesting. That you say that. I think, I think a lot of probably younger, the youngest could probably relate with that. Cause you're right. You just tag along. Yeah. Well, the, because the oldest kids are like, yeah, here's what we're doing today. Yeah. Or we're playing basketball now. Or no, we're going to race bikes. Oh, okay. Is that what we're doing? Yeah. I'm in. You're just totally yeah. tagging along everywhere you go. Was I your, think. Oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, well, your childhood, was that was that a challenge for you, though? Or was it, or did you, I mean, did you feel bad about that in any way? Or was it just like, no, it was good. It's just what no, I did. No, looking back, like at the time, no. I mean, I for sure had an awesome childhood. Like we lived in a pretty decent sized yard, tons of trees, mm -hmm. like tons of neighborhood kids to play with. I mean, in summer it was like this week we're playing football. This week we're playing baseball. Now we're playing basketball. Now we're going to ride our bikes to the lake and try to go fishing with some fishing right. line that we found. Like it was, yeah, it was just an awesome place to grow up. Like That's great cool. fond memories, awesome yeah. parents. So I have no complaints looking back on like how it was, Yeah, but there's things I look back on and like the way I am now and realize, Oh, like I think maybe that, led into that like we get into my depression story it all kind of starts in college right um and maybe we don't need to go into that quite yet but <clears throat> part of it was seeing my oldest brother goes to college and it's like construction management that's me and yeah. that's what he's doing to this day and he's doing great you right know? second brother goes through optometry like that's my thing yeah. i'm gonna do it and that's what he does today <laughs> and me it's kind of like i have no idea yeah no one's making this decision for me for the first time in my whole life. And I, I'm going to do business management because that's what you do if you have no idea what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because that's, that's what I eventually went into is yeah. business management. I thought, well, it's very broad and totally. I can use it anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, the last 10 years, I've had four or five different industries. Right. You know, from windshields <laughs> to investments to mortgages to the yeah. tech world. Yeah. So I, I've bounced around ever since. So I do want to get into the depression part of where you started struggling with that. But before that, before college, it sounds like everything is, you know, I know life isn't always perfect. Oh, yeah. But overall, you everything was good, at least from your perspective as a kid. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't have any, like, lasting scars from right. my childhood or anything. I mean, there's some little things that I can I can look back, experiences in particular with sports in general. Mm -hmm. um, competitiveness and stuff, but I don't know, just how I react to different coaches and whatnot that yeah. I think I still think back on these days. I mean, for example, um, one of the people I still look up to in my life was my high school basketball coach was just awesome. I just love that guy to this day, but it's interesting looking back on it because as a, as a sophomore, this guy's brand new. I come in, I didn't even want to play because freshman year was kind of boring. I sat at the bench a lot. wasn't really getting much playing time. Right. I didn't really like the coach. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'll go to tryouts. So I 
I go to tryouts and they pull everyone in one by one. And they're like, here's the team you're going to play JV or you're going to play on this team or whatever. And the coach is like, you are talent wise. You should be starting five on varsity Mm -hmm. like right now. Right. (laughs) Um, But you don't want to be here. And there's like no heart, but you have like all the potential in the world. So I'm going to put you on JV and we'll see what happens. And I'm like, what? Like, I did you agree with that assessment no. at the time? No, I did not see myself <laughs> as that guy. Right. It was like, I liked, I played basketball my whole life. I might as well do this. Yeah. But I didn't think I was like super good. Um, so then halfway through the season, I'm still on JV and he pulls me over at halftime in one of the games and is like, what are you waiting for? Like, there's no one here that's going to stop you. Yeah. So then I blew it up in the second half and I played varsity the rest of the year. But I just, I look back at that guy. It was like, man, he really like turned me into a different player because of the belief he had in me that I just never had. Yeah. And then I compare that to, I played golf as well. And then I played golf through my junior year. I was always on JV because I was never like super good, but I was pretty good. Yeah. Spent most of my time just trying to hit the signs at the driving range, (laughs) playing with my friends. Yeah. And that head coach right in front of all my friends comes up and just lays into me it's like you are the biggest flake you're lazy you're not focusing on this yada 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 all this stuff it was essentially the same conversation the other guy had with me yeah but it was out in the open in front of all my friends i was totally embarrassed yeah and i quit next year i was like i don't want to do this anymore this guy said all these things that are true but he had like no belief that i could change it so yeah. those two, I still look back at those two from growing up and as I coach my kids' teams, like even though yeah. it's Little League, like trying to take yeah. that approach with people, even if you see something that needs to be fixed, like there's a way to do it. There's an approach is everything, exactly. right? It really, truly is. Yeah. Well, and what I love about what you shared there, Kel, is that it's like someone really believed in you before you fully believed in yourself. Let's take the basketball Absolutely. example. He's like, what are you waiting for? Yeah. And it was almost like all of a sudden you said, okay, here we go. Yeah. You know what? I'm doing this now. Totally. And then you you dominated the second half, and then it was like varsity from there on out. Yeah. It, it, it just – I and that's why we were talking about this off the air, why, you know, why I call this a belief cast because our belief dictates the way we behave. I'm passionate about that. Right. So your belief changed in in – with a speech at halftime yeah, from a coach. It could have been at the beginning of the year, yeah. but it still took me half the year to do Because like, it didn't okay. sink in for whatever reason. Right. But you finally like, all right, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah, I can be better than this. And yeah. then boom, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. That's really powerful. Well, so you go through all that, you know, you're this active kid, you know, you've had a good upbringing. I want to ask this before we get into the college years. What, what was maybe a, one of the biggest or best lessons you've learned from your parents growing up? I know that might be a big question because there's probably a lot of lessons. Oh, yeah. But is there one that stands out maybe that you could share with us? Yeah. Um, this one kind of cuts deep, to be honest. Okay. Um, I was probably eight or nine years old, and we had this trip planned, big road trip. I don't remember where. We used to go to Denver quite a bit. My mom's family was there. It might have been a trip to there. Um, <clears throat> but we're about to leave and my dad notices we have this block, this wood block where you put your knives in on the counter. You know? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And I guess he had made it 
like in high school in shop oh, class. Oh, really? Okay. Like it's this wood. This, so to him, it was like yeah. this thing that he made and it's sentimental and all that. Um, and when I would put away the dishes, I used to take the knives and I would kind of chop at the edge of it. And so there ends up all these little notches <laughs> and nicks yeah. in the wood. And I didn't think anything of it. I'm just a stupid kid. Like, do and then I'll put it away. Um, and he notices it right before this trip. Like, we're packed. The van has got everything in it. Yeah. And he lines up the three boys and is like, who did this? <laughs> and all three of us are silent. I'm like, there's no way I'm admitting to this. Like, <laughs> my dad's a big guy. Yeah. You know? And so he's intimidating. And he never, like, hurt me as a kid. So it wasn't like... He's going to punch but me still, or something. But still, I was just so like embarrassed. And plus, my brothers are standing right next to so I can't admit to it in front of them, that kind of thing. And so he's like, okay, well, I'm going to bring you into my office one by one, and we're going to talk. And so he gets to me, and I just totally break down crying. It was me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All this stuff. And I'm expecting this lashing, we can't go on the trip anymore, you're grounded for a month type of thing. And all he does is open his arms and says, come here. And I go and give him the biggest hug. And it was like, oh, like he just wanted me to be honest. Wow. He doesn't care about the block. But it was yeah. like, wow. I mean, I don't know if people were religious or not or whatnot. But for me, it was like my belief in God later in life. And when I make mistakes and I can you know, apologize for those and seek forgiveness, whether it's from a God or a being or mm -hmm. for myself, yeah. like open your arms, like look at the moment rather than the item. And so he's like, can I tell your mom how honest you've been with me today? I was like, yeah. So wow. that still just gets to me anytime I'm, you know, looking at life and things that I might perceive as a big deal. And just picture my dad with his arms out. Wow. Like, it's a, all right. What a powerful lesson. That was a big moment. I mean, and you said a big moment. I'm so glad I asked that question because <laughs> yeah, as you're telling the story, I'm like, I'm picturing, because you said your dad's a big guy. And yeah. in my head, I'm, I'm visioning like, boy, he's going to come down hard <laughs> on this kid. What's going to happen? Yeah. And I love what you said. He just wanted you to be honest. Yeah. Um, I see this a lot in what I do in recovery. I always tell my clients, number one thing, be honest. You'll never relapse if you're honest. Yeah. And how powerful and important that, we say it a lot. I'll oh, be honest. Okay, yeah, be honest. But yeah. like really be honest. Right. Yep, it was me. Or yep, I screwed up. I made that mistake. That's my bad. Yeah. You know, wow. The funny part of that <laughs> though is like, so we end up in the car and my brothers of course are like, who did it? It was Kel. It was Kel. I know it was Kel. I'm like, no, it wasn't. So I, I denied it again. Yeah. <laughs> In front of you know, your brother's hounding Exactly. On yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a crazy. great story. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, when you got to, to college, um, you started struggling with depression. And so tell us, just walk us through that and kind of what was going on and, and what that led to. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably halfway through college at this point. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that still is like, what am I going to do? Like I'm taking all these accounting classes that I hate and you know <laughs> stuff like that. Right. Just trying to get through. I yeah. mean, I was in high school, like I passed everything. I was never like flunking out, but I wasn't like the straight A kid. Um, 
just super distracted, just wanted to play basketball, really. Yeah. <laughs> right. So study <laughs> skills were not really like up my alley, but in college, it's like you got to put the time in, like if yeah, you're really pass some classes and whatnot. Yeah. So that was just a burden. I was just really struggling with it. And I finally um, called my parents and I felt so alone because I looked at my family like, there's no way any of us have ever struggled with this. What's my mm-hmm. deal? Like, why can't yeah. I just snap out of it and be the kind of fun person I used to be when I'm just so overwhelmed with things? And and so I talked to my parents. I'm like, this is going to sound really out of the blue. And I tell them, I, I feel like I need to see a doctor. I've just been really depressed lately. And my parents are like, oh, yeah, we, we kind of expected that. Mm. Your your brother's been on medication. Mom's been on, on and off medications. Your grandma, your uncle care. And it's just like the list goes on and on. I'm like, what? Like I you had no idea. There was no yeah. conversation about this ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, which looking back and the way I deal with my kids now, it's kind of like I, I'm a lot more open with this stuff. And nothing on my parents. It's not like it was their fault, but right. I it was kind of eye opening that wow. And part of I guess going back is that experience with my dad as a kid helped me feel like I could approach him mm. at this point because Yeah. He's the big teddy bear with his arms out. Wow. Like he's going to help me out. Yeah. Right? I wasn't ashamed of like yeah. the way I was feeling, but I felt like I was out of place. Well, probably felt good. Like, oh, I didn't realize so many people in my family have gone through right. this. So yeah. you probably at that moment go, okay, um, at least I can relate. And, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I still, I, I communicate with my, one of my brothers who I know has dealt with a lot of the same things. We kind of trade back and forth. Like, hey, what are you? I've tried this medication or I've done this and, you know, we still kind of feed off each other in that area. So that has been really helpful to this day. Yeah. Um, But my experience, I guess, through college was a little, it kind of put me off like with doctors and medications because it was like, yeah, okay, you meet with a doctor and, oh, well, let's try this. And then I, I didn't really like what they put me on. And then I thought, well, maybe, you know, I've got some, I feel like I've got some ADD problems. Maybe the fact that I can't focus is right. making me depressed. And so they put me on this ADD med, right. which made me like super tense and I'd get so ticked off at stuff. It made me really angry. So I went off of that. And so I never really, I guess they kindly found one that was like, this seems to work, but I felt like it, I kind of lacked emotion in general. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I don't feel sad anymore, but I don't, really feel anything (laughs) you're kind of just mellow and i don't know so that i was on that for maybe a few years but then like after i got married and all that i was just like i don't really need to do this anymore so i stopped taking meds and and then that takes me to a few years back where things have changed a little bit since then but i guess that's kind of what led into it yeah feeling overwhelmed and whatnot going back when you started you said you were you know one of the things that was going through your mind was you were thinking about what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. So is it fair to say at that time you were basically didn't feel like you had a purpose? Oh yeah. So how does that play a part in depression? And, and, you know, obviously you've interviewed a lot of people. You've obviously studied this and this is one of your passions. Yeah. What do you see if, do you think that's one of the main reasons that people, I just don't know where I'm going in life. I have no direction, nothing to kind of, get me out of bed right so to speak what do you think about that i think there's two things there's hope and there's value mm. um with a lot of the people i've talked to um 
hope number one mm-hmm. as, as soon as you as soon as you lose hope in anything it's kind of like what's the point yeah right and that's when what can really bring you down i think at that point for me it had more to do with value because before it was like i'm on all these sports teams and i have value because i can yeah. score points or i can do this or whatever yeah um <clears throat> but then it's like i need to make money and i was never good at that I was never like an entrepreneur minded person. Yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know th- that part of it really started to weigh heavy. Like what value do I bring to the world besides being able to play with a basketball or yeah. whatever it is? Yeah. Cause I'm not, I'm not going to be a pro. Like I accepted that a long time ago. <laughs> There's a lot of us as kids that think so, but then yeah, eventually it's pro. like, that's not yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think those two things in particular yeah. really start to weigh heavy on Well, people. I love the, you know, both of those. I agree with you. And hope. Um, have you ever read the book uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really what that book's about is, uh, yeah. how can I get through this suffering? The only way I can do that is if I can find some kind of meaning or purpose in this. Right. And he talked about those that found meaning in the suffering they were going through made it through it. Yeah. Versus the ones that like... There is no hope. There is no meaning to this stuff. Yeah. So no hope, no purpose, no meaning, no value, as you put it. Absolutely. Well said. And I think, and I think people listen to this right now. I mean, like, if I could, I work with a lot of clients, and one of the number one things is they don't know their purpose in life, and they've been addicted to drugs and alcohol, and they've been blowing up their lives, and they're like. I don't know what my purpose is. Yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I think if we simplify it, you tell me what your thoughts are. You can disagree. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think our purpose is to help other people. Now, and then we get to choose. Well, how do you want to do that? Hmm. You know, you do a podcast and you, you spe- you're you passionate about helping people with depression and sui- overcoming suicidal thoughts and things like that. Stick around kind of thing, right? Yeah. That's your passion, right? Um but you're helping others. And I really believe, think about it, I, I really believe that that's our purpose is to help other people. Now it's very simplistic. What do you think of that? <laughs> I'd agree with that. I mean, if you're if you're really breaking it down, being very simple about it, no matter what the industry is or whatever, yeah. I would agree with that for even sure. If, even if you're <clears throat> working a job that maybe doesn't necessarily directly help someone per se, you're working a job to support your family or to support yourself even, or, you know, so you can have money to maybe help a brother or sister. I just think, I think if we can see it that way is, you know, you're here to help other people. How can you do that now? Hmm. What do you think? I I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah. There's a lot of thoughts that that come to (laughs) mind, like even with the jobs that I, so at work right now, I'm, I'm what you call a scrum master. Or like a product manager in the Did tech you say world. A scrub, scrum, scrum master, yeah, a scrub oh, okay. master. Like I scrub, <laughs> I clean things really well. No, so in in the tech world, there's like different processes that you use to get something built, oh, right? Okay, and gotcha. so scrum is like a rugby term where you come together. Yeah, everyone comes so together. A lot of it has to do with like the meetings we hold and make sure things are getting done on time and like being more efficient as a team. And so I look at kind of the processes and. But then as a product manager, it's more like a project. You're looking at scope and helping clients and, yeah. you know, having a vision for what they're building and whatnot. <clears throat> but I, at the company I was at before, I started feeling like my purpose at work was to help other people in the mental health 
aspect before COVID even hit. Like it's because mm-hmm. a lot of these guys are developers. They love to be in the dark. They love to just code all day and not talk to a human. I mean, not yeah. all of them, but there's some like that. Sure. Um, and I would have one-on-ones meetings with these people every other week. And so I would use those sessions okay. to be like, gotcha, to really open up with my own issues and struggles. And I felt like the more open I was with some of those guys I was working with, it was like, wow, like I can totally relate with you. And then they would trust me more as like a manager of whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so even in a work aspect, me opening up about my life and struggles I've had trying to help other people, like that's when I feel the best. Yeah. Like, I mean, truly, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I ended up starting an internal company podcast. Really? So I could interview people at the company about how they got there, what oh, are their wow. interests. Cool. So we could get to know people on a more personal level. Yeah. And now I just started that at the new company I'm at. Same thing. Just because I love it. Like yeah. there's so much. Yeah there with like let's look outside of like what are our tasks for today at work and like these are people that yeah. we work with and we want to get to know you and for sure and help them yeah. kind of come out of their shell a little well bit. i do and i that's why i do this belief cast too because i love you know people like you that come share everyone has a story yeah totally and it's so cool to hear that i mean and we all have been through struggles and we all you know, here's how I got past these things, or this is how I've dealt with them. And yeah. I don't know, I just, it's always fascinated me. Yeah. It makes me want to be better, hmm. you know, personally. Obviously, you're very passionate about the suicide prevention space. Were you suicidal at times back then as well, going through this depression? Did you feel that? No. Or? I mean, I think there's a difference between suicidal ideations and. Right. I feel like there's a pretty large majority of people that have had the thought it'd be easier if I just kill myself. Mm-hmm. I could just pull off this bridge or I, you know, yeah. whatever it is. But I think there's a difference between, oh, I had a, a random thought like that, or maybe it's every once in a while with, and truly being suicidal. Right. Like I, I really have zero hope, zero. I see no value in myself and I'm, I'm starting to make a plan yeah. like realistically. The problem is, how can you tell the difference between someone that's right. suicide, yeah. actually suicidal? And for me personally, I, I was never on that, like, I'm going to plan this out. I really want to do this. Mm-hmm. I just have been in some pretty dark places. And, yeah. But I've always had the support system. I've always had, yeah. you know, strong parents and brothers I Which can talk to helpful. and close friends. Yeah. And, and yeah. that has really helped me out a lot. So it hasn't gotten to that point for me. Yeah. Um. I'm sure your next question is like, well, then why did I go down this road with <laughs> starting a podcast about? So, yeah, well, that, yeah, <clears throat> you you have a podcast called Stick Around, a Suicide Discussion. Right. Again, I love the name. Stick Around. Yeah. Um, yeah, tell us why. Yeah, why did you start that? And, you know, what what is your goal with this? And what would you like to see happen with what you're doing? Yeah, so back when I was still living in Washington a few years back, um, I was still pretty open about mental health. And I, I spoke in church one day and mentioned it. And most of the time people were like, what you like depression? Cause I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. That's what <laughs> like sparks me. That yeah. what really gives me energy. Um, so you don't fit the mold is what people would say. Like, yeah. you, you know, usually we picture someone that's depressed as like totally introvert. They just want to yeah. be by themselves all the time. And I'm like the opposite of that. When it's like, there are plenty of people like me that are extroverts that yeah. still 
come to these issues. And um, so then I had a friend of mine, <clears throat> well, his wife, in fact, I guess she reached out to me. This is probably after we moved, actually, back here to Utah. She called me and was like, hey, Troy, um, who's a friend of mine, is he's really struggling. Like, he's really depressed. And yeah. I know you've been open about it. Like, what have you done? And so I would talk to her on the phone like, hey, I went to this doctor and they actually did a DNA test on what medications you're compatible with, uh-huh. which is pretty cool. Not that a lot is, of doctors are doing that even still. Yeah. It's the first I've heard of it, honestly. Yeah. With you just saying it right now, I didn't know they did that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they get a whole printout and like, oh, I was going to start you on this, but it looks like with your DNA, you should start with this. And so mm. I had a medication that worked first try and I'm still on it four years yeah. later. And okay. it's, it's made a big difference for me. Yeah. Right. Not to say that that would work for everyone. Sure. Um, but they give you a list of like pain medications. If you ever go to the hospital, don't let them give you Vicodin cause it's not going to do anything. I'm like, I know that cause when I got my wisdom teeth out, they gave me that and it didn't do anything. So it's like yeah. the whole spectrum of medications. There's tests they can do for that. That's pretty cool. So I, yeah. I recommended that. Um, and I just kind of had this ongoing conversation. I left him a couple voicemails. He didn't really call me back. So we text a little bit. Yeah. So I knew he had been struggling. Um, and then one of my really good friends, another guy from back in Washington, called me one day at work. and was like, hey, Troy, Troy just killed himself. And it was like this huge blow. It was like yeah. I knew he was struggling. Like what else could I have done? And that's the immediate thought is yeah, the guilt. For sure. And I can't imagine. Well, I've I've talked to his wife since then, and the guilt that she and the family feel is like, oh, we, we and she tried everything, like talked to everybody and tried all these doctors and all that kind of stuff. And the timing of it was interesting. Um, a week before that, I had been to a course at work. I'm in this huge office building downtown, and they're like, hey, there's a a suicide awareness class that we're having this speaker come to um, for people that have had friends die by suicide. It's like a support group almost. And yeah. I felt like I was already kind of getting into that space with people I worked with and communicating and helping other people with mental health. So I was like, I should go to that. Yeah. So I show up and there's like six people there for the whole building of oh, hundreds really? and hundreds of people. And I thought, yeah. this isn't enough. Like, yeah. why, why aren't we... Right talking about this more right i've never lost someone close to me by suicide but i'm here and then a week later is when he died it's like oh, oh my wow. gosh like i think that meeting in particular is what really sparked it and then him taking his life was like yeah i gotta get involved here i'm a person that's been down that road enough yeah but am outgoing enough to have conversations with people yeah. I almost felt like it was like a duty. Like yeah. I got to start talking to people. So I interviewed the very first episode in my podcast is the guy that trained at that class at the oh, building. Okay. Wow. Yeah. He's That's great. Kind of along the lines of you. He works with addicts and he's dealt with people that have left him voicemails then while he's sleeping that they're going to kill themselves yeah. and then he wakes up and they're gone. It's like, yeah. he's, he's really had some, I've had some of those, some actually. difficult yep. experiences yep. and, great story from him but wow so that's that's how it all started um the funny thing <laughs> i had i had a microphone i had all this stuff because like eight years before 
I wanted to start a podcast on beatboxing of all things. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's a that's random. So random. <laughs> But like in high school, it's like all we did uh, to and from games. And in college, I did all these beatbox competitions and performances and stuff. It was like my thing. So I was like, I should do a podcast on that. So all this stuff. And then I never <laughs> actually did anything. We just kept having more kids. <laughs> I was like, I don't have time for this. I love it. But the interesting thing with it, I guess, is like I enjoyed beatboxing and whatnot, but there was no real passion behind it. So I never actually started it. Okay. But then with this, it was like, I have all this stuff. There's no reason not to. Like, this is something I care about. Yeah. And then I just hit the ground running. Wow. That's awesome. It's called Stick Around, a Suicide Discussion. What are some of the, maybe the lessons you've learned by interviewing? I mean, you've interviewed quite a few people. What What are some of maybe the big aha things that you've maybe have learned through this? Yeah. You know, the the name, I don't remember exactly how I came up with it. I just liked the idea of just sticking around. Yeah. But the longer I've done it, I've learned that just stick around long enough to find what the next thing is. Because yeah. a lot of people I've interviewed have attempted suicide even multiple times. Mm. Um, one guy I talked to in London has, has attempted three times on his life. And now his life is fantastic. I mean, he's right. he's... He's in the mental health space. He trains people. He's a public speaker, like just doing awesome yeah. things. Yeah. It's like if you just stick around long enough to figure out what that purpose is. Exactly. Then you'll look back like yeah. he does now. I'm like, I can't believe I was this close to losing it all. Wow. You know? Yeah. Uh, that is, a, I, I, again, I love, I love that. And I love the, the concept that you're doing, you know, um, what what are your goals and plans with this moving forward? You just want to continue to just build more awareness, and do you have other things that you want to maybe open up to? I don't, or? I don't know. At this point, I still I just kind of do it because I feel it actually helps me quite a bit. Yeah, um, I come out of those interviews just on cloud nine. I feel yeah. great about yeah. just learning from other people for sure. Um, I've never been like I want to make a business out of this or anything. Um, it's just, I have a day job. It's just something that yeah. I feel is important. Um, one of the other things that I do want to bring up from some of these lessons is, yeah. um, there's actually a, a course that Yale puts out. It's free. It's online. Hmm. Um, but there's a professor there that did this class years ago. It's called the science of well-being. Wow. And, and they decided it was the, it was the most attended class in like the university's history. All of a sudden everybody wanted to take it cause it was so good. Um, so I, I took that online and really you're just watching videos of her in class and their conversations. Sure. You don't have to like turn in papers or anything like that, but right. Um, that's why I was the most popular. No, <laughs> oh, I don't have to turn in papers. I'm in. Exactly. Yeah. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> but some of the lessons I learned from that, um, and I, I, I keep thinking I should reach out to her and try to get her on the podcast, but um, Absolutely, there, yeah. she goes over tons of studies of people and their happiness and, and whatnot. And, and a couple of my favorite things she talks about is savoring kind of coupled with gratitude. We hear about gratitude a lot yeah. these days. Everyone's always like, Oh, meditate, be grateful, mindfulness, which is great. Yeah. Um, but I've never really resonated with it that much. I try to be yeah. grateful. You know, I know I have a good yeah. life and, um, but she talks about savoring 
and I think of food, obviously, yeah. like, oh, savor some ice cream or something really good. Yeah. Um, but she talks about do something you know you love and allow yourself to enjoy it. Like, just focus on that thing instead of, okay, once I'm done with this, I have to go to this. I got to drop my kid off. I got to finish this thing at work. I got, yeah. you know, we're always looking to the next thing. Yep. Um, a lot of people talk about being in the moment, and this is exactly that. Um, so I... After that lesson, I thought, okay, well, I'm going golfing. I like to golf, and I always get so mad at myself when I golf. Like, I don't like who I am as a golfer. I don't, <laughs> many people don't. Yeah, it's a really right. frustrating yeah. game. Um, but I went into it, I thought, okay, I always end up shooting right around the same score. I don't really expect to be much better, so I'm just going to savor the good shots today. And so I have, like, a perfect drive. I chip in off the green once, you know, I have some that go out of bounds, whatever, like I usually do. But when I walked to my car at the end, it was like, yep, same score as always. But I felt so much better. It was like, this was really fun and enjoyable. It was a nice day. And just allowing myself to savor the good parts of what I enjoy about that game. It just made all the difference. Love that. It's crazy. Boy, what great advice too. I mean, I'm, you know, as you're saying that, I, I, I'm a golfer, but I, you know, I mean, I might golf two or three times a year. Yeah, if, if that's that. about where I'm at. And I'm always <clears throat> the same score. I mean, yeah, I, I'm all, <laughs> and my wife will say, "Hey, how'd you play?" I go, "I birdied one hole." Yeah, great. And I, and I quadrupled seventeen. Of them, <laughs> yeah. Right? But no, yeah, I'll, I'll be like, "Yep, I birdied one hole." Yeah, that birdie will bring me back. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so. Yeah, I think that's very, very good way of saying it. Savor it. Yeah. I love that. I try, I mean, obviously with kids, it's, I got four kids, 10 and under, so they're young. Yeah. And there's a lot of frustrating moments. Yeah. But, I mean, I look back at some of the pictures now of when my oldest was four or whatever. Like, yeah. Man, I didn't really savor that time. I know. I know. So I try now with my four-year-old, but like, just really look at him and spend some time and like just savor the fact that he wants to run up and hug me and yeah i'm like superman to him still exactly because that's going to be gone (laughs) pretty soon well you know how they you know you hear that all the time hey time's gonna fly yeah well take it from me my kid my youngest is 21 now i have four kids too my youngest is 21 they're all out of the house yeah and now obviously looking back i can go it went like a drop in the it was gone yeah and so you're right. I think that's very important. Savor the moments with our kids. And, I, and I'm going to go back to what your dad did with you about when you ruined his chopping block thing yeah. or his, his knife holder, all the knives. And uh, in that moment, it was almost like your dad was savoring the moment to see you be honest yeah. and teach you something so powerful. I mean, wow. I just That really still is standing out of my head with when you said that. You know, yeah, I think I when he turned 60, we all kind of had a birthday party and went around sharing memories of dad, you know, and yeah. and I shared that might have been the only time that I brought it up since then. I mean, it's been mm. 20, 30 years at that point. And wow. uh, I mean, I don't remember his reaction to that, but I just as a parent, you look back and you hope you did things right. right. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for us to the parents to let them know. Hey, exactly. that was, you did, you did a good job. Did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me, let me ask you this question. If there's someone listening to you right now, Kel, who is in that dark space, 
that hopeless space. You've already given us some really good advice, but if there's one particular person right now who needs to hear something from you right now, what would you tell them? What would you tell that person who's in that space? I would say, don't assume that nobody cares. Mm. You know, everyone's got a busy life and, and don't assume that they don't understand either. It's, I've had so many situations, whether it's speaking somewhere or sharing a thought with somebody, people come out of the woodwork, like, oh my gosh, like I can relate, you know? And then you have a conversation that's human. It's like, I see you as a human and I get it. Yeah. And I think so many times, like when someone's depressed, suicidal, it's, I'm the only one. Nobody gets it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there are so many people that get it. Yeah. I've interviewed people in Africa, Australia, London, where, all over the world. Yeah. And it's like, you put religion, politics aside, we're all the same. Yep. It's a bunch of humans yeah. that are trying to That's make so it true. look like we're living the best life ever <laughs> yeah. on social media. Yeah. But deep down, like just about everyone you talk to, I just talked to a guy in my neighborhood a few weeks ago who's an older guy. He's got grandkids and, you know, he's probably retiring soon. And he's like, man, I used to be so positive. And now I just, I'm just not. And if I hadn't spoken up about my own struggles, like there's no way I'd know that about him, you know, yeah. see him walking by, you wave in the neighborhood. But now I see him and it's like, hey, how are you doing? And we really connect. Yep. And I share him, share with him that course at Yale, and I share with him some other things like, yeah. "Hey, go check this out. Let me yeah. know if you have any questions." Love it. And so there's there's like people that you can count on when you yeah. have those conversations. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think another thing I would say is is don't hide it. I think people really get good, especially yeah. people like me, extrovert type people. Where I'll just I'll drop a joke. You know, I'll joke about something. Oh yeah, he's good. He's still the same old Kel, but deep down I might be really struggling. Yeah. You know, and so I don't know, there's ways to to look in and see if you can read somebody, but a lot of times you just got to come out and ask them. Hey, I know you've struggled in the past. Yeah. I I had someone tell me once, you know, you hey, you when you go up to someone, "Hey, how you doing?" Typically the first, "I'm doing good." Fine. Yeah. But then when you go, "No, how are you really doing?" Yeah. Like even if you pulled them aside, "Hey, how are you really doing?" Right. Now they're going, oh, well, you want me to be honest and vulnerable? Here we go. I'm yeah. struggling. Yeah. So I think I, I, I agree with you. I think asking those questions, um, being because it takes vulnerability on both sides. It's vulnerable for me to ask you, Absolutely. hey, Kale, how are you really doing? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's that's a vulnerable question for on both sides, you know. And But I love what you said. You feel connected to this guy in your neighborhood now that you've opened up and yeah. he's opened up to you. And Yeah. I think that connection piece is huge. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So yeah. definitely just ask for help. There are resources. There's yeah. tons of people out there that, you know, have attempted or have lost someone to suicide. Most yeah. The most powerful people that I interview are mothers who have lost a child to suicide. I mean, yeah. they are just out there full force, so much energy trying to prevent anybody from going through what they've gone through. Yeah. And it's um, a gal that I interviewed twice now. Once last year and again this year, Leslie Weirich, um, 
she's an episode I had just a little bit ago. <clears throat> she said something very powerful that her son took his own life and she has a friend whose son died in a car accident. Oh, and wow. she talked to her and was like, you know, the difference here is when someone sees you at the grocery store, they come up and they hug you and can we bring you dinner? How are things going? We feel so bad. Yeah. But when people see her in the grocery store, they avert their eyes and they walk away because her son killed himself and they don't know how to approach they her. They don't know what to say. Right. How do you say anything? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's it's taboo. We don't want to go there. But. I just, there's another encouragement I would send to your listeners. If you know someone that has lost someone to suicide, check in with them. It's been three months. It's been a year to you. It's come and gone to them. It doesn't go away. That pain is not going to go away. They learn to cope. They learn to share their story, um, to help cope, I think. But, you know, a lot of times I'll ask them like, how are you doing? Besides yeah. this message you're sharing and they break yeah. down because it's still yeah. it's such still a heavy. Weight. Yeah. Yeah. So don't walk away from them. Don't think, I don't know what to say. Because maybe you don't get vulnerable. Exactly. And I think it's even okay to say, hey, I'm not sure what to even tell you right now, but I just want you to know I'm here for you if you need to talk. Oh, absolutely. I think just be real and vulnerable yeah. back. You know what I mean? Just I still I love appreciate that. it for yeah. sure. No, that's, that's very good advice. Wow. Um, well, yeah, this is awesome stuff, Kel. If someone wants to reach out to you to ask you a question or to to find out, how, you know, to download your podcast or whatever, what's the best way for someone to do that? Boy, so <clears throat> podcast is everywhere. I mean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, if you just look up Stick Around, you'll find it. Find it, okay. Um, but I've got I've got a Facebook page, Podcast Stick Around um, is the, the backslash on that. You can email me directly. Personal email is just keldbjorn at gmail.com. Um, I'm not running a business out of this or anything. It's just kind of me trying to help other people no, <laughs> lift their it. spirits a little bit. I love so, it. It's good no, stuff. I love it. And I, you know, and I've, I will talk a little bit off the air, but I got some people I want to send towards you to be on your, on your show. Um, well, I, I can't tell you how much I admire what you're doing because this is not an easy subject um, but it's needed in the conversation like you said the conversation needs to be had yeah and I'm grateful that you um, not only gone through your own struggles but I think it was like it was waking you up to the things that you need to do to give back and I'm just grateful that you're doing it yeah honestly well, thanks. Appreciate yeah. that. And I feel fortunate. I was uh, fortunate n- enough to be one of your guests on your show. And it was an awesome interview. And it, the feedback was fantastic. And uh, so I just encourage anyone, you know, listening to this right now, reach out to Kel, listen to his podcasts. Um, if you're feeling down and depressed, these are some good things to get some answers to what you're going through. Right. And then I'll, I'll even say, check out the Yell the Yale online course called The Science of Well-Being. I think check that out. It might be a good way to kind of help you. It's totally. free, like you said. Yes, and you don't have to write a paper. No. <laughs> yeah. There's just there's right? so much great knowledge there, so many great yeah. studies that just it's eye-opening. Yeah. You know, and, and if you're really down and out, go to the ER. If you're really thinking you're going to hurt yourself, call the suicide hotline, whatever it takes to stick around, right? Yeah. Stick around. Um, so – 
can you beatbox for us for a minute? <laughs> you knew that was coming, dude. You can't throw that out there. You thought oh, I forgot. Oh, man. As soon as I said that, I thought, oh, man. Maybe I He's going to make me do it, huh? Well, I forget about it because these days I don't really do it. You know, back then it I just was think like, it's cool. I, I mean, I've heard kids do it, and I think it's pretty bad. Oh, man. So it started out with Donald Duck. I've been talking like Donald Duck since, like, kindergarten. What's hello? My name is Kyle. What do you want me to say? Type of stuff. Oh, wow. And so in high school, guys start beatboxing. I'm like, I wonder if I could do that with Donald Duck and be like, And people thought that was funny. Yeah, I like it. That's you know, good. but then I got more into just regular. So stuff like that. Dang, that's good. <laughs> good job, dude. That's rad. I love that. Dude. So of course now all my kids do this. Like around that drives my wife crazy. Like, oh, stop making so much noise. But like, deep why'd down, you, I'm why'd like, you tell them about that? That's yeah. my kid. Oh, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that little talent you got. Yeah, there. No problem. That's really cool. Well, hey, thank you, Kel. Seriously, for being on my show. It really means a lot to have you here in person. And again, I really admire and support what you're doing to help people, especially those who, you know, maybe are thinking of not wanting to be here and to, you know, we want you to stick around. If you're listening to this right now, please stick around. Reach out to Kel. You can reach out to me. We're here to help you. Um, please check out his stuff. And if you can't get a hold of him, get a hold of me and I will, I will direct you to him. But we love you. And we want you to, you know, find happiness again in your life and that kind of thing. So, Kel, thank you for your time. Yeah, appreciate it. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Well, there you go, guys. I told you it was going to be a great interview. Uh, Kel's fantastic. Kel Bjorn, please check him out on Facebook. Uh, stick around and then look up his podcast on all the platforms out there. Stick around. A suicide discussion. I love you guys. Uh, thanks for all your support. Again, thanks to our sponsors. It really means a lot that you believe in me to do this. And, so I love you guys. Until next time. Thanks again, Kel.